Just to let you know, I still have a leg brace on, still on crutches, still not weight-bearing. Hopefully, June the 4th, when I see the surgeon again, that all changes. Um, but he is the boss of my leg, at least, um, and tells me what I can do. The PT people have stretched me out pretty well. Um, but when it comes to the bone, the orthopedic surgeon, he has the call. He did the work. He put the metal in there. It's his decision. However, however, he's told me I can do this. If I feel comfortable, I can actually take the brace off, as long as you all don't rush me, um, you know, or promise not to charge me. Maybe I'll say something that might want, want to make you do that, but probably not. But uh, I can take the brace off if I feel comfortable enough and show some leg. It's okay. Um, <laughs> um, that wasn't funny. I know someone was like, that's not funny. Uh, if you could, turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Um, when we think of the book of Revelation, we normally think of prophecy. We normally think of apocalypse, um, Christ coming. And rightly so. That, that would be correct in thinking of that. However, there is a little bit of a section before all that takes place, before Christ reveals that to John and tells him to write those things that are to come. Um, and it's here in chapter 2, in chapter 3, and also in chapter 1, um, where there are letters written to the church by Christ himself. Christ tells John in chapter 1 to write these things that are now and that are to come. And, and what's interesting is these letters to the churches, yes, they might be seven different cities in the area of the Asia Minor, that we know as Turkey today, um, and they might be on a familiar trade route. Um, but as we will see, they're not just to these churches alone. They're to us. And Revelation is written in a time that the church is experiencing great tribulation, great persecution, and believers are wondering, where is their hope? Is their hope still solid? High school class, you know all this, right? Yeah, Tavon, you know it. Uh, you know, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but... Jesus is trying to reach his church and saying, yes, I know what you're going through. Yes, it's hard. But you know what? What I have promised will happen. And here's how it's going to take place. But first, before that all happens, I have something that you need to take care of. A little house cleaning. Church, you're still here. You haven't been taken up yet. You're still here in the world, on the earth. And there's some things we need to chat about. So pay attention. Here they are. And I will admit to you, as I looked at Revelation chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7, and the letter to the church at Ephesus, it's hard. It's not an easy thing to, to speak on. It's not an easy thing to study. Because as you dive in and as you think about how does this apply to the church today, you start to look at yourself and say, man, how does this apply to me? As you peel back the layers, you see this is not just for a church, but this is for every single individual believer. Yes, corporately, it is to the church, but we as believers need to take heed individually as well, because if we don't do it as individual believers, how are we ever going to do it as a church, right? How are we ever going to do it together corporately? That's what we're here for, right? To do things together, you know, to encourage things, to encourage one another, to do them together as one, as he is one. He prayed that in John chapter 17. So it's hard, I will admit it. And, and the more I studied, the more I realized it relates on a personal level. And it's something that I really need to take and look at myself. And 
There's a question to that um, before we dive in. The question is, what makes us do what we do as believers? Why do we do it? Is it because that at one time we were told this is how we do it? Or is it something that it's, it's always been done this way? I think we've heard that line a lot of times. It's, it's how it's been done for years. It's how we've always done it. Or maybe it's how we were taught. Or maybe it's how we saw others do it. Or maybe because it's, it's just the right thing to do. And so we do it and so on and so on. We can come up with all those reasons. However, if those are the core, those are the driving force, is that really it? Is that where our foundation lies in those reasons is why we do things as believers or why we do things as a church? What really should be the core? What really should be the driving force, the foundation for all of that? And have we, in just using those answers and using those reasons, forgotten what the core is, forgotten what the driving force is supposed to be, maybe abandoned it, and we need to be reminded so that we can remember. I think Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7, addresses that. So let's read it real quick. If, together, I'm reading out of the ESV. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, the work that yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise. Of God. Let's just look to the Lord one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and we thank you for this time that we can just dive into it, Lord, and we can just see and hear what you have to say to us through it. Uh, so, Lord, we ask that you would do that now through your spirit, that you would just move in our hearts and our minds, both hearer and speaker alike, and show us, Lord, what we need to know from this. Lord, give us understanding, give us wisdom, and just pray that we would just be open. Uh, to what you have to say to us, Lord. And wouldn't it just be something that is soothing or nice to us and that we can go from here and enjoy the rest of our day, but it is something that challenges us and causes us to, to look not only at ourselves, but a, as a church and, and to make sure that we are doing what you want us to do. So Lord, we just ask and pray these things right now and lift them up before you and pray that everything we say and do will be honoring and glorifying to your name. We ask this in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so, Verse 1, real quick, is the opening of the letter. Jesus saying, hey, this is what I'm writing to you, church at Ephesus. And it actually goes back to chapter 1. His little intro there in verse 1 goes back to what he is talking about or what John has introduced us to in chapter 1. And that is this image of Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus Christ that John 
met and new here on earth, but the ruling, the reigning, the glorious Jesus Christ and all his might and majesty, the one who's seated on high. That is the Jesus that John encounters in chapter one. And when he sees, after he hears the voice and turns around and sees Jesus, he falls down as though he were dead. And it is a frightening, it is a terrifying image if you take the time to to look at it. And we're not going to do that because that would take two hours and we don't have that unless you want to stay. It's okay. Uh, But we won't do that. But it's, it's an image that is terrifying. It's an image that is awesome. And John passes out when he sees this Jesus Christ. And guess what? You would too. You know, we would too. If we turned around and we saw that, whoo, okay, on the ground I go, no problem. <laughs> you know, no, I'm out. You know, wouldn't have a problem with that. But it's an image that depicts infinite wisdom or Jesus Christ, infinite wisdom, his all-seeing judgment, his refined purity, his power and majesty, his penetrating power of the word of God and his glory. And he is standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands, and he's holding seven stars in his right hand. And this is an image of power. And yes, this is a terrifying image, but you know what? It's actually an image to comfort. Because we see after John passes out, Jesus reaches down and puts his hand on his shoulder and says, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last. I'm the one who's alive forevermore. I'm the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. Yes, I've got all the power, but fear not. You know why? Because I'm right here with you. And as for those seven lampstands you saw and those seven stars in your right hand, guess what? Those seven lampstands are the churches, and I'm in the midst of them. I am with the churches. I am right there with you guys. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not seated on high looking down. I am right there with you in the midst. I know who you are. I know what you're going through. And I'm not only there to help you, but I'm there to correct you. So be comforted, John. Fear not. This awesome power, this awesome Jesus Christ is there for you. So fear not. I'm with you. Yeah, that's right. You know it. Eh? Yeah, that's right. Who needs amen when you got you know it? That's right. <laughs> and then obviously the seven stars in his right hand. He's saying, hey, these, these are the messengers. These are the words. These are the things that I have to say to you, churches. So listen up. So get, get this. This almighty, this all-powerful, this all-knowing, all-seeing, all-pure, holy, sovereign, Jesus Christ is saying, I'm with you, and I got some things I got to share with you. And so he does that. And he writes to Ephesus. He says, hey, I know you. I know your works. And you know what? They're great. I want to encourage you, Ephesus, and we all like that, right? When someone has something to tell us or they want to share with us, maybe that we need to change or correct or maybe bring bad news, they always try to to bring out the good first, right? The encouraging part. They're like, hey, this is what's good. I really appreciate this about you. I really appreciate what you're doing. We've had bosses like that. I've had coaches like that. You know, the old expression, when a coach told me something like that, I knew I was getting benched in a second. So it's all right. But, you know, it's like, hey, this is all good. You do all this well, Steve. But, uh, you know, we'll get to that in a second. But here is Jesus. He wants to encourage the church. He knows what they're going through. He knows what they're facing. And he says, listen, I know your works. I see what you're doing. I'm right there with you. You have endurance in doing good works. You do good works, and you do them well. You don't put up with people who do evil things or evil at all. You hold on to the truth. You know, in doing good, you hold on to that truth. You know what you also do? You test out and you find out the false prophets. 
And these are false prophets who were coming in and saying one of three things. Maybe Jesus never really died or rose from the dead. That's what the Gnostics were saying. That was big back then. Or maybe it's the Judaizers saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, Christ is good, but you still need to hold up to the law. And if you don't hold up to the law, you're not really saved. Oh, okay. Or maybe the third one was this. Hey, guess what? You're saved. You have grace. You know what? You can keep doing what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you sin. You're covered. It's cheap grace. Don't worry about it. But you're covered. Keep, keep doing, keep living a life of, you know, sexual desire and whatever. It's okay. That's what probably the Nicolaitans were teaching, that it's okay to keep doing these things. It's okay. You're covered. And all those were false. And the Ephesians knew it. And why did the Ephesians know it? Because they had been taught by Paul. I mean, there's a whole letter written to them. You know? And then there's, there's John who writes to them, not only in his first epistle, but also in his second and third epistle. He writes to them to encourage them to be watching out for the wolves, watch out for these people, but keep doing good. And you see, they've endured hardships. They've endured persecutions. And you know what? They don't grow weary in doing it. They haven't grown weary. They're still going. They're still going strong, and they're not giving in. And Jesus says, this is great. And you know what? You also hate the work of the Nicolaitans. That's what he says in verse 6, which I also hate. These people who are trying, excuse me, trying to deceive believers, trying to deceive the church. You know who they are, and you hate them, and you want nothing to do with them. They don't belong here, and you're right. And this is all good. You're doing well in this. You are, Ephesus, the prime example of what a church should be doing. You're a prime example of what they should, how they should be acting. You are thriving in this, in this area. And in fact, Ephesus, if I were to use a church as an example of how I want it to be and it's doing and it's acting and holding on to the truth, you would be it. You're number one. You're doing a good job. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. And you know what? We can look at our own church today. We could say, what do we do well? What should we be encouraging? Maybe it is the ministries. Maybe it is the youth ministries. We should be encouraging all the ministries, whether it be youth, worship, you know, ladies' coffee hour. We should be encouraging all that, keeping up that good work. We should be holding fast to the word, holding fast to the gospel. That's what John is talking about here, holding fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. And I think we do that well. And we should be holding on to these things. Think about the good things that we do as a church. Keep doing them. Keep doing them. If you can think of something else good that we should be doing for the church, do that as well. And don't grow weary in doing it because it is a good work. We've been created to do them, as Ephesians 2.10 tells us. So we as a church need to keep doing those good works. Encourage to do those good works. That is the right path. That is the right track. Even if the world is against you, even if the world is doing evil, even if the world is trying to lead you astray, keep persevering in doing that good and holding on to that truth. Don't stop. It's good. It's good. You know it. (laughs) It's hard when Tavon's here and you can't can't say that without him. You can't say, man. But here we go. This is good. Jesus has built them up. Oh, but then comes the hammer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's right. Verse 4, ESV says, but, some of you in other translations have nevertheless, and I always feel like words that are longer with more syllables carry a heavy weight. I don't know why, it just seems that way. You know, but, nevertheless, nevertheless seems a little bit more heavier than but. And he says, nevertheless, 
I have this against you. Jesus is not negating all the good that they've done. And he's not saying that, hey, all the good that you've done outweighs what I have against you because what I have against you is pretty serious. And if you don't check it, it's going to be a problem. But he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. These are sobering words. You've just been built up. You've just been encouraged. And Jesus says, hold on one second. I have something we need to talk about. I have this against you. And this is what it says in verse 4. This is what Jesus is saying to the church, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. ESV has abandoned. Some of you might have left. Once again, abandon's a bigger word, and I think it carries a heavier weight. And we, we know what abandon means. You didn't lose it. You're not like, where are my keys? They were here on the, the table last night. I can't find them this morning. Where's my cell phone? Did it fall down the couch again? No, it's not like you left. It's not like you lost it. No, you purposely put it to the side and said, I'm done with this. I don't need this anymore. This needs to go somewhere else. You've abandoned it. You've abandoned it at the doorstep of somebody else's house, maybe. You left it. And Jesus is saying, you've abandoned your first love. How? How have they done this? They're doing good. They're, they're on fire. They're the, they're the prime example of what a church should be. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you have all those things, and you should keep doing them. However, you know what? They've become a formality. They become cold. They become callous. They've just become an assembly line. You just do them because that's what you're supposed to do. You just do them because that's how you've always done it. And you know what? Those are your reasons for doing it. And you know what? Love has left the picture. Love is no longer the reason. Because you only do it in that way and because you're only focused on doing the works and making sure things are done right and make sure things are going well and fitting into the system and fitting into the structure and fitting into what you think is church, you've lost something. And you've let the world know you lost it. It looks like you've lost it. How you act, how you deal with things, you've abandoned your first love. Love is no longer the reason why you do this. Love is no longer the reason why you act the way you should as a believer or do the things you should as a church. It's all become about the formality. It's all become callous. It's all become cold. You've forgotten that love, and you've forgotten that it is the real reason behind it. What is that love? What love is, is Jesus speaking of? I think we all know the answer. It's the same love that when Jesus is asked, hey, Lord, what are the two greatest commandments? And he says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the first one. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. And yes, that's what John is getting at. He's saying, hey, in your formality, in the way you do things, it makes you look like you don't even love God. You're just doing it because he told you to do it and you're just trying to get it over and done with. We're just trying to do it and because it looks like it's the right thing to do and you've forgotten that reason that God loved you first. And because God loves us, we can do these things. Because God loves us, we can be his church. Because God loves us, we can be a witness to the world. We do these things because God loved us first. 1 John 4.10 tells us that. In this, is, in this is the love of God. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He loved us first. 
And he loved us in such a way that he sent his son to die for us. We quote John 3.16 all the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us first. And because God loved us first, we can love him in return by doing what he's asked. We obey him. We do things for him out of love. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus is saying, hey, it is about love. It's all about love. And it's about my love for you. And in return, your love for me. And that's why you do this. You don't do this because it's written down. You don't do this because it's the thing you've taught or been told. It's because the first thing, the primary thing is the love I have for you and the love you have for me. And if that is the case, if I love you and you love me, guess what? You ought to love one another. He says to his disciples, you, you will be known. They will know you as my disciples by your love for one another. Interesting. First John 4, 7 and 8. We should have had the kids come up and sing it today. You know, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. You're right? And if anyone does not love, he knows not God, for God is love. The Bible tells us clearly the things that we do as believers, the things we do as a church, need to be done in love, should be manifested in love. And when others see it, it's like, yes, those people do it because they love the Lord and they love one another. Not just believers, but the outside world. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is can that be said about us? Can that be said about us? That we do things out of love here at Tell Road Bible Chapel. It's in our mission statement. Adore God, love one another, serve the community. Love is all in, involved in all those things. Um, adoration, loving, serving, yes. But, but do we, as, even as individual believers, can we say the things that we do for the Lord, the things that we do for one another, is done out of love for him and love for others. We have to ask ourselves. The great American philosopher and poet in the high school class knows where I'm going with this. Ice Cube once said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. And the question is, do we need to check ourselves in the love department? Because as we're going to see later, if we don't, we are truly going to wreck ourselves. Check ourselves. Are we doing these things out of love. The one who has called us, the one who saved us, he did it out of love. And if he's done it out of love, then we should be doing it out of love if we say we are his disciples, if we are his followers. Ephesians 5, 1 says, imitate God as beloved children and walk in love as he loved us. He gave himself up as a fragrant offering to God. Gave him up as himself as a sacrifice. That's how we are to love. We are to walk in this love. The love that he showed us, we are to imitate it. We are to be like little children in imitating that love to one another. We've also, here's the hard part, we've been called to love our enemies. Matthew 5, 44. Jesus says, love your enemies. In fact, he goes on to say, what good is it if people who love you, you love them in return or vice versa? That's easy. There's no, there's no real great thing going on there. Yeah, you're loving one another, but you're not really being an example to the, to the world. It's easy to love others who love you. He's saying love your enemies because that's where the true message hits home. Because remember this, I loved you even when you were still enemies to God. I loved you even when you were dead in your sins. I loved you. And I sent my son to die for you. 
That's love right there. Loving those who don't love you. Loving those who maybe won't ever return it. Loving those and not expecting it. That's the love that Jesus is saying we should have here. That's the love that should drive the Ephesian church, and that is the love that he says they've abandoned. You see, the Ephesian church was a doctrinally pure church. They knew it in and out. They knew the truth. They knew the word. They knew the gospel. They held to it. They were doctrinally pure. But sometimes the focus on that and the focus on just doing good and doing the works will make a congregation grow cold, suspicious, and intolerant of diversity. This is what Spurgeon says. He says, when love dies, when love is abandoned, orthodox doctrine becomes a corpse, a powerless formalism. Adhesion to the truth sours into bigotry when the sweetness and light of love to Jesus depart. You lose love, you lose all. Because the church at Ephesus had become so formal in how they lived and how they did things and how they treated one another, it didn't look like there was any love. When the world looked at them, when the Lord looked at them, he said, hey, I'm in the midst. I know what's going on. And you do all this good, but guess what? There's no love behind it. There is no love. And so therefore, it looks like you abandoned it on the doorstep out in the cold. Is that what we want to be as a church? Is that what we, is that what we want others to see as a church? And I think the answer is no. And that's why Jesus has stepping in and saying, hello, Ephesus, you got something to work on. Yeah, you're doing good, but you need love and you need it badly. We need to love, do things out of love. It's very, very serious. You know, we look at these churches in Revelation. There's seven of them, like I said before. And the last one is Laodicea. And we always like to focus on them because we think they're the real bad church. Because Jesus says, hey, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were. I wish you were doing something and not being so, you know, complacent or so apathetic. I wish you were actually doing something good or doing something bad because then I would actually have a thing to work with. But I don't because you're so complacent. He says, therefore, I will spew you out of my mouth. And we're like, we never want to become that church. Well, guess what? That's the last church for a reason. Ephesus is the first church for a reason as well. Because if love is not addressed, if doing things in love is not taken care of first, then guess what? The long road to Laodicea is not far behind or not far away. Jesus is saying this needs to be addressed first, then everything else. Because if this isn't handled, then that is definitely what you will become. That is definitely where you'll be headed. So the question to ask ourselves as believers now, as a church today, is in our walk or in what we do, is do we do or how we do it, make it look like we've abandoned love? Is it how we interact with people? Do we just do, hi, how you doing? Fine. That's, we do that all the time. Do we even think about that? That's pretty formal. That's just pretty like humdrum. I'll be honest with you, there's no love in that. And, and we do it just because if we say, how you doing? We're like, check. I greeted somebody today. I said, hi. And they said, fine. We can leave it at that. I don't want to go any deeper because that's a little dangerous and that might get emotional and I might actually have to care for them then. I'm serious. I mean, I know I sound a little degrading, but that's how we, that's how we sound when we say that. That's the message we're saying. How you doing? Good. How are you? Fine. Boom. Done. 
Is it how we deal with things? You know, maybe something isn't going the way it should. And so we, we get upset or it isn't the way we've always done it. And so we complain and we grumble. We maybe don't see how things should be done and encourage. Is it because we're focused on making sure things are done the right way? We hear that in the game of baseball all the time. The old school guys tell the new school guys, hey, you need to make sure you're playing the game the right way. And the new school guys are like, we want to have fun playing baseball. It's a fun game. And the thing is, we can get like that. Are we, are we just worried about making sure things are done the right way and not maybe open up to some diversity to maybe help our church grow? How easily is it because we easily get frustrated when people or things don't go the way we think they should because we have a construct or we have a pattern in our own mind that this is how it's always been, this is how it should go, and if it doesn't fit that box, I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. Do we get caught up in just doing the ministry work? I, I do ministry, you know, serve in the senior high group. And I've had to ask myself, why do I do it? Myself, why do I do it? Do I do it just because it looks good? Do I do it just because it's there? Do I do it just because the kids need somebody to lead them? They really don't. Well, they maybe they just need like a chaperone or something. <laughs> they, can, they can lead themselves to a, just a little bit. But why do I do it? Do I do it because I love them? Do I do it because I love the Lord? Or am I just doing it because it's another thing to add to my resume? Do we just go to church to check off the spiritual box and say, yep, went to church on Sunday, good to next week? And are we stuck with a style or pattern because that's how we always did it, being intolerant to diversity? Or are we stuck thinking that only new ideas and changes are the only way to improve the church? These are all the questions we have to ask ourselves. And as you listen to them and as you hear them, as you ponder them in your mind, you realize love is not in the middle of any of those or the driving force behind any of it. It's cold. It's calculated. It's formal. It's my world and not the Lord's. So the question is, have we abandoned love? And Jesus says, you better be careful because in what you do, if it looks like that, then yes, you have. So we need to check ourselves. And then he goes on and says, to remember, remember from where you have fallen. Remember, remember the love that you had at first. Remember how this all started. It was out of love. Love for me, your love my love for you, your love for me, your love for one another. Remember that you did the things you did at first, those first works, you did them out of love. And that was the greatest impact that you could ever, you could ever have in being a church, doing things out of love. We, we always quote Acts 2.42 when people say, hey, Plymouth Brethren, why do you meet what, why you meet? Why do you do it? We say Acts 2.42, there's a pattern in there. But you know what? There's also verses 43 through 47. And you know what it says? It says, each one, as they had need, they gave, and they built up the church. They made sure nobody was in need. They did it out of love. They cared for one another out of love. And you know what it says? The church grew enormously. I'm just paraphrasing. There's a number in there. And it says people just kept flocking to them when they met outside at the, the porch of Solomon. That's found in Acts 2. It's just a paraphrase. But you see that. The, the greater impact was not the pattern. The greater impact was the things they did out of love for one another. And the world saw that and they said, I want to be a part of that church. I want to hop into that. That's where it's at. Look at how they love and care for one another. And look at how they love the Lord in doing it. That's where I want to be. So remember that love, Ephesus. Remember that love. Because that's what you need. 
It's the core. It's the driving force. It's, it's the foundation. Think of what Jesus said to Peter. Hey, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. You do this out of love. If you love me, do this. And that's how we should be doing it. Remember that love. And it says, repent. Turn away. Turn away from just being a formalistic, doing good church. Turn away from that. Turn back to love. Turn back to the works you did at first. Turn back to spending time with the Lord in in his word and in prayer. How are we going to grow in love? How are we going to know more about love? We need to spend time with him in his word and in prayer. And when we spend more time meeting with other believers, have joy in that. Remember the joy that you had gathering together and it wasn't all about ministry and it wasn't all about work and it wasn't all about just doing good. It was about gathering together and encouraging and building up and showing love to others. Remember the excitement you had about telling and sharing Jesus Christ with others, whether it be believers or non-believers. Remember the joy that you had when you first came to know Christ, when you first came to experience that love. You wanted to shout it from the mountaintop. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Remember that. They may seem simple. They may seem mundane. But you know what? To get something restarted, to get a fire going, you need a good accelerant. And Jesus is saying, repent and to turn to these works. Because if you want love to be that fire and that core again, this is what you need to do. This is how you restart it. This is how you rekindle that. Remember, repent, go back to that love. He doesn't end there. He says love is important, but here's a warning. If you don't repent, if you don't turn back to love, I will come. I personally, Jesus, will come. I'm in the midst. I will just take your lampstand and be gone. I will take it out. You might still exist as a church, but you'll just be like those chocolate hollow Easter bunnies. All nice and good on the outside, but nothing on the inside. And if you think he's joking, he's not. He did it to Israel. He told Israel, you better check yourself or I'm going to be gone up out of this temple. And guess what? It happened. It's in the Old Testament. You can look it up. The glory of the Lord went up out from the holiest of holies and was gone. And that temple was just a shell. What was it then if God was not there? Jesus is saying, hey, church, if you don't pay attention, if you don't heed this warning, I will remove the lampstand. You can exist as a church, but people won't think I'm there. Or maybe it'll just close down. Maybe it'll be the last four, close the door. And that'll be it. Don't be surprised that that's where you go if you don't repent and turn back to love. No repentance equals no lampstand equals no Christ in the midst. That's a hard warning. And he is serious. He's not joking around. He's saying you will cease to exist as an effective church for me. You'll just be like Israel. You'll be a byword. People will be like, ah, That was a great church. They were thriving. What happened to them? Look what happened to them. They left the love of the Lord and they all became about works. And well, look what happened. Same thing happened to Israel. There is a warning. And that's why Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. We need to be listening. We need to be paying attention. Every single church, every single believer And when we ask ourselves, why our church is dying? Why our church is closing up? I will be honest with you. It's because of this. They've abandoned the love and not returned. 
I heard a story one time about a hurricane that hit an area, and in that area, the only church, the only place that had power and water was a local church. Their lights were on, the water was running. And this is a brethren church. This is not Houston. This is a brethren church. And it was brought to their attention that people need a place for shelter and, and a place for electricity. And they said, no, we can't open our doors. It's too much of a liability. Where's the love? It went out the door. <laughs> That's abandoned. I hope we wouldn't be like that at Tell Road if, if we were the only church, we were the only building when Sandy was hitting us. I know we lost power. We lost everything, this whole neighborhood, trees everywhere. But if, if we had the lights and we had the water, would we say, yes, we are a beacon. We are a place. We are a refuge. Or would we say, I'm sorry, it's too much of a liability. I, I can't do it. Where's the love in that? We, it's serious. Jesus is being serious. That's why he says, if you don't repent, if you don't go back to that love, I'm out. I am gone. And what will you be then? However, he doesn't leave us there. Praise the Lord. There is a reward. There is a reward. He gives us the warning first because he knows it's serious and he knows we need to be paying attention and he wants to get our attention. But he says, guess what? To the one who conquers to the one who overcomes. Guess what? I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And we could break that down. We could talk about what that means for now and for all eternity. But it's basically saying this. If you overcome, if you conquer and go back to love, and love is the driving force, you will be known as a place where God is. Because that's what paradise is. That's what the Garden of Eden was. It's where God was. God walked amongst Adam and Eve. He walked in the cool of the garden. He was there side by side. And he says, guess what? If you are a church that goes back to love and shows that you've remembered and repented towards it, and that's your driving force, guess what? I will recognize you and the world will recognize you that this is a place where God is as a church and as believers. And is that what we want to be? I would say yes. We want to be a place where the world looks at us and says, that is where God is. And it's because of the love that he has for them and the love they have for him and for one another. There is reward. It is a place where God will be. And if he is there, it is going to be an awesome experience. We, we look at heaven and we say, hey, the focus is all on him. When we get to heaven, yes, there's streets of gold and, and stones and emeralds and all that, but it says, hey, there is no need of light or lamp because the Lord is there. God is there. That's where God is. So that's why love needs to be the center because then people will see that this is a place where God is. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.14 tells us this. It says, Paul writing, for the love of Christ compels or controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised does the love of christ compel us in doing what we do as a church does it control us does it drive us romans 12 9 tells us that love must be sincere love must be genuine are we that in what we do and how we do it out of love it's all about love all you need is love yeah john lennon said it years ago but he's not the author of that jesus is writing to the ephesian church you need love and if that's your core that's your center 
And man, the things that you can do, the place that you will be, will be truly a place where God is. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? We seriously, church, need to heed the words of Jesus. We need to take a long look at ourselves individually and ourselves corporately as a church and say, hey, yeah, we might be doing a lot of good things, but does it look like we've abandoned the love we had at first? Do we need to remember? Do we need to repent? It's a critical thing to consider and to respond to. And really, it depends if we are going to be a church that looks abandoned or a church that looks where God is. Looks like God is there. We want to be that church. We want to say God is here and God is doing great things. But God is saying, hey, love is the key. Love is where it all comes from. Don't forget that. Remember that. If we have an ear, let us hear what he is saying to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word. We just ask right now, Lord, that you would just humble our hearts and humble our minds before you um, and really consider if we have abandoned the love we had at first, Lord. It's a serious matter. And Lord, if it wasn't, you wouldn't have addressed it with Ephesus and you wouldn't have addressed it with the church in general. But Lord, we know it's a serious matter because it all matters to you and because you are right here with us. So Lord, help us to remember that love, to remember that we are loved by the Lord, that we are loved by you and in so doing, we can love you in return. And in so doing, we can love others because of the love that you have for us, whether they be our neighbors or our enemies, Lord, because we want to show, we want to be a people, we want to be a church where God is. So Lord, help us to consider long and hard, are we doing what we do out of love? Or are we doing what we do because it's the right thing or the formal thing to do? How does it look, Lord? How does it look to us? How does it look to the world? Ultimately, and more importantly, how does it look to you? Help us to be honest with you. Help us to be honest with ourselves individually and corporately. And help us to realize if we need to remember and we need to repent and turn back to that love and the works that we did at first. Lord, it is, it is a stern, it is a serious thing to consider. But Lord, it's also a beautiful thing to consider because if we do it and we return to it, Lord, Truly, we will be a place where God is and we will be a place where people want to be. So help us, Lord, in this. Once again, open our hearts, speak to us, speak to our minds, and help us to humbly receive through your spirit what you are saying to us. We just ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so much and loved us to the end. And hopefully that we will love him in the same way in return and love others from it. We pray these things in his name. Amen.